Hello, darling. Hello. How's it going? It's great. Everything is going swimmingly. Cool. So I have a fun fact for you today. Do tell. Right. Ready for this? Yes. So a coffin confessor is someone who is paid to give a speech at a funeral on behalf of the deceased, usually saying something shocking or controversial. What the hell? Yeah. What kind of shit? I didn't know that those things even were a thing. Like, what? Okay, so they get paid to show up at your funeral? Yes, you pay them before you die, and they tell, like, outrageous shit. Or have, like, a last, like, confession, like, oh, I killed somebody or some bullshit. These people, like, show up to say it. Or I guess you could just make up some bullshit, like... I'm not so-and-so's father or some shit. You know what I mean? (gasps) (laughs) That's making me so nervous. That's weird. Okay, but but do the people, like the guests or whatever, do they know? No, they don't know. know? Yeah, it's just some stranger they think is at the funeral. I mean, that's what you pay them for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ooh, scandalous. That's kind of petty because you're already gone. They can't really – I wonder if it's, like, rich people that do it. Like, I wonder how much it costs. I wonder if I could just get a random person. Yeah, I want to know what kind of people do this and who they are. If there's, like, a service out there, like a business, you know what I mean? Holy moly. Right. Okay. Cool. And what was that person called again? Their title? Confessor. Coffin Confessor. Along the lines of spooky, which we are all about. So that's a perfect segue. I have a few jokes for you i guess you could say you were saying you have spooky stories (laughs) what was that what's that from on it's a disney movie and they're like you were saying and it was like oh oh it was actually shrek that's not disney that's dreamworks i fail he breaks he goes uh he goes you're not a king and he goes uh felonious and then felonious breaks a mirror (laughs) what i mean is uh you're not a king yet Go on. Do you remember his name is Felonius? Felonius. <laughs> <laughs> the coolest name. Okay, anyways, oh, back to it. Hilarious. So we have jokes. Knock, oh, knock. Yes, jokes. There we go. Here we go. <clears throat> I'm going to actually... What is that? What does she sneeze? All fucking hacking her lung out over here. Today is the day that I lose my shit. No, I'm just kidding. I took one sip of coffee and it's driven me off the edge. A sip. I have no creamer or half and half. I have no milk. So I took a single sip. And let's see where that gets me. You just needed to be awake enough. You didn't have a cup. Just one cup of coffee. And then we finish him off. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I think that's what she says. She might say, and then we finish the job. Some shit. You're right. He goes, um. You're supposed to say the answer to the joke. (laughs) I thought you were going to say it. They just keep knocking. My mom would have a heart attack. She would not answer the fo- answer the door for anyone at I all. I remember. I remember. She would get so that. mad whenever we would answer the door. She'd be, like, don't answer the door. She She'd be hiding so behind the couch so- or something. 
she would be like kind of like crouched so that they couldn't see in the house that she was home when she's clearly home. I remember the first time she told me that and I was like, I absolutely love this woman. She never know. You just never know. And then this time, please answer. (laughs) It's raining out here. Okay. Who's that? I said, who's there? Oh, who's there? <laughs> it's not going up. <laughs> Am I the of course. who's there? Yes, you are. Okay, but okay, okay. One, one more time. time. One more go. Okay. Who's there? Is Tamara home? No. Ew, you don't know what that's from? That was scary. That scared me when I said that. No, what is that from? Is Tamra home? I don't know where the fuck that's from. And then they say, oh, there's nobody here by that name. And then she just stays standing there at the door. Oh, uh, if you're trying to tell me that's a black-eyed kid, I'm out of here. No! It's from The Strangers, you silly weasel. Oh, bitch. I haven't, I've only watched that movie once <laughs> because it scared the shit out of me. That's why my mom doesn't answer the door. Okay, one yeah. more. Oh, girl. Ooh, that's scary. <laughs> Who is it? It's October, bitches. Oh, my God. Wow. That was the response. <laughs> After all that hard work I put into the props I'm and the sorry. the costumes. <laughs> the voice lessons. <laughs> the voice lessons. Yeah, I wasn't just born with this talent unlike what you might have thought. <laughs> That was a good one. That first one scared the shit out of me, though. Good job. It took a second. You didn't even. Well, I had yeah, to explain it. What it was, yeah, and then it scared me. But, but it still landed. Okay, good. Yes, I'm it glad. still scared me. So mission accomplished. Well done. So guys, she doesn't know what I'm talking about today, and neither do you, obviously. But what I will say is, it's October. This is the first week in October, so we're getting spooky, serious scary but also fun so i'm gonna read something that's like one of my favorites and then i'll see if you can guess what maybe the tone or the topic of today's episode is okay so it was a pain in the ass to find so i hope you enjoy it as much as i do so so and so's friend a girl in her teens is babysitting for a family in newport beach california the family is wealthy and has a very large house you know the sort with a ridiculous amount of rooms anyways The parents are going out for a late dinner slash movie. The father tells the babysitter that once the children are in bed, she should go into a specific room. He doesn't really want her wandering around the house um, to watch TV. The parents take off and soon she gets the kids into bed and goes into the room to watch TV. She tries watching TV, but she is disturbed by a clown statue in the corner of the room. She She tries to ignore it for as long as possible, but it starts freaking her out so much that she can't handle it. She retorts to calling retorts good grief she resorts to calling the father and asks hey the kids are in bed but is okay if i switch rooms the clown statue is like really creeping me out the father says seriously get the kids go to next door and call 911 she asks what's going on he responds just go next door and once you call the police call me back Mm -hmm. she gets the kids goes next door and calls the police when the police are on the way she calls the the father back and asks so what really is going on he responds we don't have a clown statue He then further explains that the children 
have been complaining about a clown watching them as they sleep. He and his wife had just blown it off, assuming that they were having nightmares. The police arrive and apprehend the clown, who turns out to be a small person. What? A small person clown. I guess he has he was some homeless person dressed as a clown who somehow got into the house and had been living there for several weeks. He would not come he would come into the kids' rooms at night and watch them while they slept. As the house was so large, he was able to avoid detection, surviving off their food, etc. He had been in the TV room right before the babysitter came in. When she entered, he didn't have enough time to hide, so he just froze in place and pretended to be a statue. Absolutely not. Um, I literally watched that story on Mm. this movie on Tubi, actually. It was called Strange Events. (gasps) Did you get scared? Was it scary? No, I have to check it out. There's three of them, and we didn't get to the third one because they are really fucking stupid. But it's like an anthology, so it's Mm. like little story, little scary stories or whatever. But that one was one, and... It wasn't a little statue. It was like a full-grown person sitting in a chair mm-hmm. in the corner. And she yep. she calls and she they don't even tell her to leave. They're, well, they tell her. They're like, you need to get out of the house now. And she's like, why? And they say, because we, mm-hmm. we don't have a have clown, a clown statue, statue or a clown fucking thing. Yeah. And then it comes up close there, to her. Oh, my God. Woo! Yeah, there's a lot of variations of this urban legend, which – No, today's topics are not urban legends yet, but there are other elements that are in this urban legend that I am going to connect to my episode for today. Anyway, I'm glad you'd had heard it before because it's super cool and scary. It is very Um, interesting. I hate clowns. It was hard to find. I thought I was going to have to buy um, a short story, like scary stories book in order to get the actual urban legend because I don't know. It's just been changed around so many times. But anyway, so any guesses on what the topic or the discussion is? Um, well, now I have no idea. <laughs> There's it like could a, be a lot. Yeah, it could be a lot of things, and I'm scared already. Today, we are going to be talking about babysitting nightmares that are unsolved mysteries. Oh, shit. I'm going to have to find more that aren't this dark and depressing. I didn't realize I was going to be mostly talking about children watching children and then those children die because that's horrible i didn't want to uh we'll do something fun at the end though but yeah i have a list here of some babysitters that went missing and then were found dead basically oh my god to sum it up so um and from some of for these um that i chose i used criminally listed which is a youtube channel that i've referred to time and time again and then i used other websites and stuff that i'll mention along the way so okay we're gonna start with evelyn hartley on october 24th 1953 evelyn hartley was supposed to call her father at 8 30 to check in but when she didn't call um he called the police and so i'm gonna go over to the article that i used and i'm gonna read from that Evelyn was babysitting a 20-month-old girl at the home of La Crosse State College professor Vigo Rasmussen on the evening of October 24, 1953. He and his wife and um, other La Crosse residents were attending a town homecoming game. Um, the Rasmussen house was located in the t- 2400 block of Hoeschler Drive. Ho- Hoeschler? Hoeschler. Hoeschler Drive. 
The family had a regular babysitter, but she had also planned to attend the homecoming game that night, so Evelyn was hired as a replacement. She brought four or five school books with her and planned to study while she babysat. She was supposed to call her parents at 8.30 to check in, but she never did. Her father tried to call several times that day and never got an answer. He became worried and went to the Rasmussen's house to check on his daughter. He found that all the doors were locked and the lights and the radio was on. The baby was unharmed, asleep in her crib, but there was no sign of Evelyn. The furniture inside the living room was disarranged and Evelyn's textbooks were scattered. One of her shoes and her eyeglasses, which were broken, were on the living room floor. The other shoe was found in the basement. All the windows in the house were locked except a basement window in the back of the house. The screen for that window had been taken out and was leaning against the outside wall. A short stepladder was positioned at the window in the basement. It belonged to the Rasmussen's, and they'd been using it to help paint the basement. Three other windows had pry marks. There were footprints from the pair of sneakers in the basement window box and in the living room. In addition to the indications of forced entry was a significant amount of blood of Evelyn's type, both inside the home and near the basement window outside the yard, in the yard. There were two pools of blood in the yard. One stain was 18 inches in diameter and there was a bloody handprint about four feet off the ground on the wall of a garage 100 feet from the Rasmussen's home Oh my! God. and stains on the home of a neighbor's house. Dude, this is so eerie because they didn't even like care to like knock her out first or like put her in a bag. Like they knew all the town was at this homecoming game. Yeah. They just took her kicking and screaming. Jeez Louise. So- Authorities believe Evelyn's abductor or abductors carried her or dragged her through the yard and blood pulled twice when the kidnappers stopped and rested her on the ground. So she might have been knocked out, but she was actively bleeding, so she was still alive. Um, Tracker dogs traced Evelyn's scent for two blocks, then lost the trail at the Cooley Drive northeast of the Rasmussen's home. Authorities believe whoever took her put her in a car. Someone reported seeing a light-colored car circling the neighborhood at approximately 8 p.m. Another local resident said that they heard screams at about 7 p.m., but that they assumed it was children playing. Yeah. Authorities believe that Evelyn was abducted around that time. Two days after her disappearance, a local man named Ed Hofer came forward to say that at about 7.15 that night, he almost hit a two-toned green 1941 or 1942 Buick, which was speeding westward. He noted two men and a girl inside. Oh. Wow. One man was driving, and the other was in the back seat with the girl who was slumped forwards with her head leaning against the front seat. Hofer said that he'd seen the car's occupants a few minutes earlier staggering down the street near where the blood was later found. And he barely told people about it two days later? Well, I don't know if he even got wind of her having been missing. I'm not sure how big this town is, and it's 1953. I don't know how quick the news moves. Um, I'll give him that, but yeah, I absolutely agree. Like, if he saw something... Here. Yeah, like who cares if you didn't know she was mis- hello, you're seeing a girl in distress. Like, I mean, it doesn't look yeah. right. Oh, I know. Oh, it's one of those mind your business little gut feelings that's like see something, say something. Due to drive me um, crazy in all of these true crime stories. Every same. I'm sure it drives them crazy after all these years, too. Yeah. Because she was never oh anyway. Okay, yes, so continue. Um Yeah, it just, it's horrible. So, like, Hofer had assumed that three people were en route to the homecoming game, as he was. He didn't realize the significance of what he saw because at that time he, 
Uh, no one knew Evelyn was missing. Hofer's information was publicized, but his name was withheld from the media for nearly 50 years after Evelyn's disappearance. Oh Several days after her disappearance, a pair of underpants and a brassiere that could have been Evelyn's were found near the underpass on Highway 14, two miles south of La Crosse. Oh my God. They too were stained with blood. A blood-stained pair of men's pants was found along the same road four miles away. It is unknown if the pants are connected to Evelyn's case. Did they not test the blood? I was like, just about to say that. What the fuck? Is it after a while they can't? Like, what's going on? A pair of size 11 blood-stained Goodrich sneakers was found in the Coon Valley area southeast of La Crosse. They were apparently stumped there only a short time before they were discovered. The soles had a suction cup pattern very similar to the footprints found near where Evelyn was last seen, and the blood was her type. Investigators believe that they were worn by her abductor. Inside one of them was a single human hair, possibly from an African-American. Possibly. Mm. The 1950s. Um, there is a lot of racism yeah, just going on. Curly. They're like, oh, it was a black guy. Yeah, they want to. They want that. Um, authorities consulted the Goodrich Company and learned that the particular model of shoe was called the Hood Mogul, which was sold in Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, and Illinois. Based on the pattern of wear on the shoes, investigators believe that their owner worked with machinery. The shoes also had a distinctive circular wear pattern on the sole, suggesting that their owner frequently operated a Whizzer motorbike. What? Investigators determined that two different people had worn the shoes. The second wearer's feet were too big for them. I'm sorry. How the fuck did they figure all of that shit out, but they couldn't figure out the blood situation? Like, I don't know. I guess maybe when it said that the blood was her type, or uh, maybe that was part of it. So they ended up figuring that out. I thought I that's not how, or well, maybe I have no idea. I, when they test your blood, like your DNA is in there, you know what I mean? So why would they just. Yeah. It's only her blood, I guess, on all of this stuff. But why do they keep saying it's her blood type, not her DNA? Like, or is that just what they tested then? That's what it, that's what it means. I guess so. Just blood type. But have they tried to. Make sure it was her. Like tested again, like in recent years. Instead of like following false leads. Um, I'm not sure. That's a good question. Because even if it's just her blood type, like there's billions of people. A bunch of people that are her blood blood type. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. They check her DNA like years later. Unless they destroyed. Because apparently the way DNA work or like testing for DNA, there has to be a large amount for you to be able to test mm-hmm. like different times mm. and like different ways okay, and shit. Like if there's yeah. only a small piece, they can only do And this one is several days one. after they found several days they found this stuff several days after she went missing. So pretty not, fresh. Like But did they not keep it like for evidence like la- like years later is what I'm saying? Like you know how I they, think do they do it for cold cases and shit. Yeah, they they for sure kept all of this stuff. There's a there's another case where they lost a bunch of shit, oh which is annoying. God. But the in this case, I'm pretty sure that they kept everything. Um, and yeah, the blood type thing. I'm not sure if they didn't like specify the DNA or whatever mm-hmm. versus just the blood type. Um, but yeah, they certainly did their research on those shoes, didn't they? Yeah, that's fucking crazy. Um, Goddamn. <laughs> Within 800 feet of the shoes was a well-worn size 36 blue denim jacket with metallic buttons and bloodstains on the front, back, and sleeves. The jacket had been base metal paint 
had some base metal paint flex on it. It had been cut off at the bottom and roughly rehemmed with white thread, and one of the four buttons was missing. There was a worn mark running the entire width of the jacket under the armpits, possibly from a safety harness. There were bats. There were bast, for real. There were bast fibers um like the kind used in scrubbing brushes in the left hand pocket i'm so like they just know all these things like they really studied the clothing well the clothing is what came first like that's what they found but that they can figure um, all this shit out when was this the 50s 50s well i'm wondering if they went back and like looked at all this stuff Uh, now because i'm saying and this is what that is they're damn near like yeah this dude ate with his he ate cheeseburgers every day and like farted with his clothes on. Like I don't. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. No, seriously. Um, yeah. Once again, the blood on the jacket was Evelyn's type and the blood smears found at the house. She was taken from were made by cloth with the characteristics of denim. Authorities believe the jacket was worn by her kidnapper. However, it appeared to be too small for a person big enough to wear a size 11 shoe. One investigator concluded based on the pattern of wear on the jacket, and the way it was cut off, that whoever owned it worked as a steeplejack. As a what? Steeplejack. What's a steeplejack? And it's a person who climbs tall structures such as chimneys and steeples in order oh, to carry out repairs. Steeple. Evelyn's kidnapping sparked one of the biggest searches in Wisconsin history. Among other extreme measures, investigators conducted mass searches of local vehicles and gave lie detector tests to all the students and teachers at Evelyn's school. Uh, They took the shoes and the jacket to 31 different communities in the area and displayed them to an estimated 10,000 people, but no one recognized them. Mm -hmm. Many suspects were questioned over the years, but there was um, no evidence to implicate anyone. Some people suspect Edward Theodore Gein Gein, may have been involved in Evelyn's case. A photograph of him is posted with a case summary. He was visiting relatives in La Crosse, just blocks from the home where she was babysitting, dude, on the night of her disappearance. That is fucking scary. She wasn't really his type, but I mean, that could be, if this is 53... When did he start killing? He started killing. Let me look. I don't know. Because if trying to know if this is towards the end, towards the beginning of when he's uh, doing things. Uh. Oh yeah, it was around fifty. It was around that time. Ooh, creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1957, police went to question Gein about the disappearance of a local barmaid and found human remains all over his house. He had killed two women and had dug up the other women's bodies in the cemetery and mutilated them. So when they went to 1957 to his house, that was four years after she had gone missing and it was already like a little setup in his house. Yeah. So he had already been killing actively. Um, Gein was declared insane and died in a mental institution in 1984. No trace of Evelyn was found on his property and he denied any involvement in her case. He has still not been completely cleared, however, and is also being considered in the 1947 abduction of Georgia Weckler. Um, Evelyn was a junior at Central High School at the time of her apparent abduction. She had a straight A average and was involved in many school activities. She also played the piano and sang in the choir at the First Presbyterian Church. She had few dates with boys and had never had a steady boyfriend. 
She is the youngest of four children. One of her older brothers died of polio several years prior to her disappearance. Evelyn's parents are now deceased. One of her siblings lives in Oregon and the other in Australia. Her case remains unsolved. Wow. She was just a little all-American girl. Yeah, she was 15. She was pretty. I'll post pictures. Um, And this is Wisconsin. 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 Um, She was 15. Poor, Poor thing. She was never even, her remains were never even found. That is fucking crazy. Yeah. I'm wondering if she's still alive, do you think? Absolutely not. She'd be 82. Uh, Yeah, she's definitely, even if she would have survived that, she's definitely not alive. If y'all want to check out any of these profiles for these missing children or people, it's the charlieproject.org. And Charlie is spelled C-H-A-R-L-E-Y. So that was Evelyn Hartley. Linda Smith is next on the list. She was 14, um, was babysitting her nine-year-old brother, Ben, on June 14, 1981 in Pocatello, Idaho. Mm -hmm. The next morning, Ben was was asleep on a recliner in the living room and was awoken by Linda's screams. A man carrying Linda with a hand over her mouth appeared. Ben tried attacking him, but the man pushed him down and told him to stay away or he'd get hurt. The man rushed out the door and put Linda in the back of a black van with flames painted on it. What? Ah. Yeah. I would think that'd be easy to find, right? Yeah. That's very specific. Weird. It must have been somebody from out of town or something. Uh, so. But how did they find her? Wait for okay, it. Okay, okay. Ben ran to the neighbors and told them what happened. They didn't believe him. They said that Linda had run away with a boyfriend, probably. What the fuck? The neighbors and the police were like, eh. Um, She's 14. Like, what? I know. That's probably why they're thinking that. Like, she's 14. She's going to come back. Uh, That's still uh, Um, alert. Like, we need to stay better. And this is the 80s. Come on. Uh, well, I mean, the 80s was a, t- a busy time for kidnappers, now that yeah. I think about it, because parents were just, you know, living it up, partying. Yeah, dude. I don't know. <laughs> working really hard. I'm so sorry. I'm like putting down everybody in the same. They were probably working really hard and they couldn't pay attention to, to their kids. Yeah. They probably had a lot of kids. I don't know. I Making up excuses. They were just in <laughs> cocaine and just letting their children oh my each God. other. <laughs> Hairspray in their hair. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, so a week later, her clothes were found on the side of the road and 11 months later, her skeletal remains were discovered in a ravine. Unfortunately, due to the decomposition. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you would have said the, the word because wh- damn it, it would have been fucking hilarious. <laughs> now the decomposition. <laughs> it's not funny. It's not funny. I can't. <clears throat> okay. That one sip of coffee really did you good. <laughs> it really was one sip. I'm not even exaggerating. Oh. Okay. <clears throat> Unfortunately, due to the... Why can't I say that sentence? Unfortunately, due to the decomposition, experts couldn't tell how the young girl died. So they don't know if she was strangled or stabbed or... I mean, I guess they could tell if the bone if the bone was like damaged but since it had been such a long time Mm -hmm. it could be damaged just from the wear of weather or whatever yeah so ben described the abductor slash murderer as in his 20s um, or 30s with dark blonde hair a mustache and a beard and he smelt of alcohol and sweat (laughs) ew 
Disgusting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now, the year before, the family had received a threatening letter from a man in prison. Apparently, that fa the family had um, helped put that man in prison. So, I don't know what the connection to that, but that was a year before, about a year before, she got taken. Mm -hmm. In 1991, a man was picked in a lineup as the killer, but the man was never charged and the police lost the letter. I'm sorry, What? They lost the letter, the threatening letter that came. I don't even know what it says. Horrible. Oh, my God. I found a little bit extra information, so let me pull that up real quick just to see if any of our freaking questions get answered because I also have questions. Pocatello, Idaho, 1981. They assumed she ran away, so they never took the case seriously, Ben Smith said. It wasn't until 11 months later when Linda's skeletal remains were found, including her skull, that the police finally believed Ben's story and that a man had broken into their house and took his sister from right from her bedroom. Um, the case quickly went cold and no arrests were made or suspects even named. Now, more than two decades later, two Pocatello detectives have reopened the case and Ben Smith is optimistic that a resolution will be reached because of the serious commitment police have made this time. Um, they're treating it as a fresh case right now, he said. Smith moved to Utah nine years ago and now lives in Birmingham, Brigham City. Um, because the slaying happened so long ago, the family says there may be others who lived in their po Pocatello neighborhood in the 1980s who moved to Utah or people who might know something about the case. Because of that, Smith is putting out a plea for anyone who knew his sister or lived in the neighborhood to get in contact with the police again to help with the new investigation. So he was nine years old and it was around 2 a.m. when he heard muffled screams and the sound of a possible struggle like someone kicking. Mm -hmm. I woke up to my sister being dragged out of the house, he said. Smith said a man had his arms around her. That's awful. That is terrifying yeah. to even think about. I can't even imagine being that kid and witnessing that shit. Watching that. He's only nine years old. Yeah. Horrible. Um, so Ben Smith ran to a neighbor's house to get help for... Oh, wait. So the man forced Linda into a, a van with flames painted on the sides. Ben watched hopelessly as the van drove off. It was the last time he saw his sister alive. Ben Smith ran to a neighbor's house to get help for his house did not have a phone. Um, that was... Just the start of the, I know in the 80s, they didn't have a phone. The, that was just the start of the nightmare for the Smith family. Ben's mother was on welfare and raising him. Linda and their sister, Lori, by herself. The family did not keep their doors locked in small Pocatello in 1981. And Linda had run away once previously, but mm. only for a day. Um, investigators believed it was the perfect recipe for a runaway and that Linda had taken off on her own. Ben tried to tell investigators that what he saw, but... He had to keep retelling parts of the story because of the details he forgot to add. They came to the conclusion I was covering up for her so she could run away, he said. Smith remembers a man in his 30s with dirty blonde hair. Police, however, hardly preserved any potential evidence, he said. Mm. They didn't take any fingerprints. They didn't do nothing, said Ben's other sister, Lori Thomas. Hardly anything was preserved from 26 years ago. How can they treat it like a new case if they don't have anything? Um, maybe they're just doing it like a... What's the word? Uh, I don't know. Due, due diligence? Sure. They are. They owe it to him to at least try, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I mean, maybe even when Linda who it was, so yeah, why can't they just go find that person again? Right, and then re 
ask or, you know, re-interview. Yeah. I don't know if they're allowed to do that. I don't know. Or maybe that person's dead by now. Um, don't know. So even when Linda's clothes were found in a ditch a week later by a city employee, police still did not believe she was kidnapped. What? They didn't believe it, even though they found her clothes. Um, the investigation was botched completely. Um, an exact cause of death was never determined. The guilt of not being able to help his sister ate Ben for years. He saw counselors, was treated for anxiety, and said that finally in 1997, he was committed to a mental hospital for a short time. That oh, is that awful. Is so sad. I'm happy he got the help he needed, but geez, mm. that sounds horrible. Um, last June, Smith said Pocatello police acknowledged mistakes were made and reopened the case. They currently have at least two people of interest in the case, he oh, said. Yeah. I have high hopes right now that they are committed to this, he said. Linda Smith was one of four girls killed in the Pocatello area between 1978 and 1983. I still have, yeah, I have more to add to that list. Um, all of the cases went unsolved. Originally, police believed there might have been a connection but smith said detectives today aren't so sure anyone with information is asked to call the pocatello police at 208-234-6121 um, and this is this article is pocatello looks into 81 killing of a teen from the desert news and this was written in 2007 imagine i wonder how they would have come up with anything now i I couldn't find anything. I I could only find stuff about Ben. I couldn't find anything about the case. So I guess I um, didn't find anything. Nothing happened. Oh, horrible. So horrible. So that was the story of Linda. Uh, she shit. was taken from her bed. Like, what the hell? It was not like she was out and... Ugh, I know. It's a nightmare. It sounds horrible. Cindy Bringhurst was babysitting on June 4th, 1983. She was babysitting a two-year-old girl. And at like 11.45 p.m., the mother who was working at the bar down the street, I think, um, called her because her purse and keys were missing. So she was just checking in to make sure like how things were going mm -hmm. with the babysitting situation. Cindy said everything was fine. And then two hours later, the mother returned to the door, unlocked, and the TV on. The baby was asleep in her crib, but Cindy was nowhere to be found. Cindy's home was called, but her parents said that she wasn't home. Her body was found about a month later, 75 miles from the home. She had been strangled to death. The person keys being missing was thought to definitely be linked, and the man suspected of stealing the purse was never charged um, because the purse was never found. Uh, when they searched his home and his car, they didn't find it. So because the stolen items weren't found, they couldn't charge him with anything connected to the what case, I guess. the fuck? There was only he was only I guess a suspect in the in the stealing part of it. There's speculation due to the lack of evidence that Cindy left on her own free will. The kidnapper smelled like alcohol. The mother was out at a bar when Linda was taken. So, hmm, the mother of the ba of the baby that Cindy was babysitting worked at a bar, and the access to the home was provided when with the stolen keys. Um, so sp police speculate that the kidnapper may have known the mother or um, Cindy herself, or may have just known that there was a babysitter there that night. Cause there was no sign of a struggle in the home, I guess. Um, these girls were actually the third and fourth girls. And I'm referring to Cindy and Linda Smith, both. Um, they were the third and fourth girls to go missing and then murdered in the Pocatello area between 1978 and 1983, like that article said. Mm -hmm. um, it's unclear if these are connected, but here's more on the other missing girls. On July 22nd, 1978, so this is like going backwards from where Cindy and Linda were taken, mm -hmm. 
15-year-old Patricia Campbell in July of 1978, Patricia Campbell and her two sisters were playing in a park by the courthouse after a pioneer parade had taken place. Um, 12-year-old Tina Anderson met up with the girls and played and then left to go to her babysitting job. The family said that they weren't ready yet, so she left the, the house that she was supposed to be babysitting at, and she never they never saw her again. Patricia Campbell's sister said that she saw Patricia talking to a man in a blue sweatshirt, and it was a hot day, so that's why she noticed that he was wearing a blue sweatshirt. And the hood on his sweatshirt made seeing his face kind of hard to see, um, but she said he was wearing a large ring. Neither Tina nor Patricia went home that night, and the police were called by the parents. Uh, three years later, their remains were found in a wooded area about 60 miles from where they, we- they went missing. Tina was identified right away, but not until 2007 was Patricia identified. Um, which, I mean, I don't know where things get lost or what, but if they went missing together, wouldn't you think that those two, it took that long for them to identify that it was Patricia's body. Um, so Tina had been shot once in the head with a small caliber gun. Um, there was also a skull of another person found with those girls' remains. The skull indicated that she was about 15 or 20 years old and was African-American. She didn't match any missing person from that area, so we don't know who she was or where she came from. That is so fucking sad. It's sad, and it was just her skull. It wasn't anything else. Mm -hmm. In 2016, the police department declared they think they know what happened and who the killer is based on circumstantial evidence and some interviews, but admit that a lot of evidence had been lost through the years. However, they said that they do not plan on charging anyone. What the fuck? What the fuck? How can they know who it is and not want to charge them? Yeah. Unless they had died already. They can't posthumously. I don't know. All four were about the same age and they all went missing in June or July, which is so strange. Um... And they were all discarded in a woody area, and they all went to the same high school. That is really interesting. Hmm. I wonder how. I wonder if they're if it's all the same. If they're connected. If it's like that the would janitor. be Ah, <gasps> you just solved the crime. Why does it have to be the janitor? I don't know. I feel like back then they only hired like. Sketchy people? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really shouldn't even say that shit because my grandpa was a janitor at a high school. So. Ask him if he's ever seen anything crazy. Well, he's dead now, so I can't. Oh, rest but- his soul. You called him creepy. Oh, shit. <laughs> you called him creepy and he's no, passed away. he wasn't creepy. Everyone actually really loved him. He was. Oh, I'm sure. Him and another. Uh, gentleman, Mr. Dominguez, they both worked there, but I'm Aww. saying it was two old men that worked there, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So I just, um, other schools, I'm sure, some old decrepit man that they were like, here, just mop this shit and fix whatever we gotta fix. Okay, cool. <laughs> so this Idaho State Journal.com, April 17th, 2014. So not too new, but it's been more than three decades later or decades since the Pocatello police captain, Terry Felsman helped to recover the body of Cindy Louise Bringhurst, the 14-year-old Alameda junior high student who vanished from Pocatello apartment where she was babysitting. Her body was discovered in the Mink Creek area by a fisherman a month later. Felsman declined to release the cause of death or whether or not Bringhurst was sexually assaulted. 
He said, in cold cases, we never release that information. If someone was to confess to the killing, we don't want them to have been able to have read details about the case. Okay, Okay, so who's going to confess? Like, if they haven't confessed by now, they're not going to. But people, there are crazy motherfuckers that just confess just to confess. They just want to say, yeah. Yeah, And you won't be able to know if they're lying if they know the information that everyone will make it a little bit harder to... The woman who she was babysitting for moved out the apartment shortly after Cindy's disappearance. I mean, I would too, damn. Yeah. Cindy disappeared sometime between 11.45 on June 4th and 1.45 a.m. June 5th, 1983, while she was babysitting at an apartment in the 100 block of Highland Drive. The woman whose two-year-old daughter that Cindy was caring for worked at the Oasis Bar. Um, The woman's purse and keys were stolen the same night that Cindy disappeared. Her name was not released, but the woman reported to investigators that she spoke to Cindy at 11.45 p.m., but returned home two hours later to find the door unlocked. The television on and Cindy missing. The toddler sleeping in the crib in the adjacent room was unharmed. The woman also called Cindy's parents after finding her gone. I don't think it was a coincidence that the purse was stolen the same night that she disappeared, Felsman said. Just one week after her disappearance, an Idaho State Journal story reported that a suspect had been identified in the theft of the purse. The male suspect vehicle was searched and several items were collected, including a shirt, but the purse was never recovered and no one was charged with the theft. Um, An FBI profiler also believed that the theft of the bag was substantial. The profiler determined that the killer most likely knew Cindy or the woman that she was babysitting for, and that he knew Cindy was alone in the apartment. There was no sign of a struggle at the apartment, and Cindy's employer reported that nothing in the residence appeared out of place or missing, also leading police to believe that the teen knew her killer. That's the worst. Um, Cindy's family also enlisted the help of California psychic Judy Bell, who left Felsman unimpressed. I thought the amount of money that she charged the family was outrageous, and that she didn't really provide any information that was helpful in the investigation. Felsman said, um, Bell billed the family $100 per hour, according to a 1983 journal story, which back then, that's a lot of money, too. It's still a lot of money. What the fuck? Like, I mean, yeah. Um, and if she didn't even come up with anything, um, the psychic envisioned Cindy leaving the apartment voluntarily with a man and feeling like she was in control. But Bell said that she lost the trail when Cindy got to the bottom of the stairs. Um, however, when a Blackfoot woman called claiming to have a psychic connection to the case, Felsman didn't discount her. I went to Blackfoot and met with her, Felsman said. She was an elderly woman and was on oxygen. She said she didn't want any money. She just wanted help to help if she could. She took us within 25 yards of where Cindy's body was found. Shut your mouth. A summer party was also reported to have been going on in the Mink Creek area the night that Cindy went missing. And while the party did not take a, take place in the vicinity where Cindy was found, some attendees were interviewed. Felsman does not believe that the party and Cindy's disappearance were connected. Um, police scoured the Mink Creek area after Cindy's body was discovered but found nothing. Felsman said it is unknown whether Cindy was killed at or near the location where she was found or if her body had been transported to the Mink Creek area. Her body was partially submerged and much of the evidence had been washed away. The woman who was she was babysitting for moved out of the apartment, yeah. Um, shortly after Cindy's disappearance, Felsman said that the scene had already been processed and the move did not hamper the investigation. Uh, he said that the woman is not a suspect in the disappearance and the murder of Cindy. Yeah, why would she be? She was at work. She has an alibi. Yeah. Um, or I guess they could say 
that she staged the stealing of her purse. Oh, and so in order to get some well, home. all she did was go make a phone call at eleven at eleven forty five, but she didn't get to go home until like one forty five. Yeah. That's wild. According to the East Idaho Cold Cases Facebook page, um, a $10,000 reward is offered for information leading to an arrest in the disappearance and murder of the four young women and the uh, and for information in the 2004 murder of Nori Jones, who was killed in her home on Pole Line Road. Um, interesting. So they're actively still trying to figure this out, which is good, whether the cases are cold or not, because it's so weird. How many? Four girls... From the same area? Yeah. In the same kind of way, like babysitting and whatnot. So weird. Why didn't they think that was like a serial killer? I don't I would think that they would, but I think back then it wasn't as like common to know the signs of what a serial killer even was. Mm. Carmen Chan, April 13th, 1991, was babysitting her two younger sisters while parents worked 10 minutes away at their Chinese restaurant. Around 9 p.m., the um, Carmen and the younger sister found a man in a balaclava in the hallway with a carving knife. What? Balaclava? Balaclava? It's a mask. It's like a long, kind of like an executioner's like black that mask where just terrifying. eye holes and nothing. Dude, I know. And a carving knife. He's just in their house in the hallway, and it's her and her two little sisters. Mm-mm. So he grabs them by the hair, Carmen and the little sister, and puts and pulls them into the bedroom. And he grabs the two younger sisters and puts them in a cupboard and pushes um, the bed in front of it. Mm-hmm. And the girls were able to escape, and they found that Carmen was missing. Mm-hmm. They called the police, and a window screen was cut probably where the intruder got in. Um, their Camry was spray painted. The hood and the windshield of the car read, Payback Asian drug dealer, more and more to come. What the? F- About a year later, April 9, 1992, her body was found in a landfill. She had been shot three times in the back of the head. Aww. The police concluded, I know she was only freaking, um, how old was she? 12 or 13 or something, 13 or 14, maybe. The police concluded that the killer had scoped out the home before and that. They feel that the serial, that he was a serial home invader and pedophile, Mr. Cruel, was the culprit. Mr. So Mr. Cruel. Cruel is his own little thing. And this is in Australia, by the way. I forgot to mention. Oh, okay. Um, this is in Australia, if I'm remembering correctly. And Mr. Cruel was like a local pedophile killer, but he was never caught. What? What, yeah. and what year was this? 1991. What the fuck? And her body was found in 92. Um, so Mr. Cruel should probably get his own episode. Not that he deserves it. He's a piece of shit. But it's a lot of information to pack in. But the police did suspect that it might have been him because nobody was ever caught in uh, – and based on what the kids said, he was wearing like that weird mask. And so that's what yeah. that guy would wear. <gasps> um, yeah, she was 13, and she went missing during the night of April 13th. Um, so, yeah, this is in the Australia area. So we will touch on that again later with the whole Mr. Cruel thing. Um, the, the spray paint was thought to be a cover 
which if it is Mr. Cruel, then that does make even more sense because he's trying to throw them off. That's something typically he doesn't do is spray paint on people's cars. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the case remains unsolved. They have no idea what the hell went on or what happened. It's very sad. Um, Kelly Cook, Standard, Alberta, which is in Canada. Mm -hmm. On April 22nd, 1981, a man called looking for a 15-year-old named Kelly – he didn't say, I'm looking for a 15-year-old named Kelly. But on April 22nd, 1981, he called Kelly and was like, my name is Bill Christensen and I need a babysitter. She agreed and uh, he would be picking her up at her house. So he arrived in the driveway at 8.30 p.m. and waited in the car. Her mother saw the man but didn't go meet him. Kelly got in the car and they left. When she didn't come home in a few hours, they called the police but had little information besides probably the fake name. They drew sketches based on what the mother saw, but she didn't remember any details about the car, just that it was a full-size North American model. Um, Apparently, a month or so before the kidnapping, 11 other girls had been called for a babysitting job. Absolutely not. And they all made up like a reason or they were like, we can't or whatever. Yeah. Um, He had been calling from a payphone outside of, of Standard Alberta. One call was made to one of Kelly's friends. And it was four days before he called Kelly herself. The friend actually recommended Kelly when she said she couldn't do it and what? gave him Kelly's number. What a bitch. <laughs> what a, that's so shitty. I mean, imagine being that friend like, okay, cool. I can't make any extra money that day. I'm going to give him Daniela's number. But why she did she not go. warn her? <laughs> I'm telling you, back then, I guess it was just not as much of a worry that, you but know, it could be freaking... He was calling people. Like, that's weird. Like, and if I don't have an ad that I'm selling something or doing something, like, why are you freaking calling me? Which I guess at the time, a lot of people were doing that for like extra cash or whatever. But Mm. so 11 other girls had been called before Kelly agreed to do the babysitting job. And then just to get picked up, how freaking, that doesn't make any damn sense. Her parents had no questions for this. Yeah, being your parent, you'd be like, I will take you and I need to meet them. I'm gonna meet them. Yes. Good grief. Yeah, seriously. This was a different time. They definitely were a lot looser. Lenient. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Yep. That is scary. Horrible. Um, okay, so. Two months after going missing, Kelly's body was found in a canal over 100 miles from Standard. She had been tied up and weighed down with blocks. She was fully dressed and had not been sexually assaulted. Um, The cause of death is known but not made public. Her body had to be identified with uh, her teeth. Um, So it was that. Well, she was in a canal, so I'm sure there was water and a bunch of- Oh, no. That's even- Oh, God. You couldn't tell who she was. Or, you know, the cause of death is known. I don't know if she was beat maybe that badly. That's horrible. But if she was beat up too badly to where they couldn't even tell she was, they used her teeth. Um, It was two months. So I guess the decomposition is pretty far along, too. Um, The killer is believed to be between 30 and 45 years old and about 5'10", and he had a- Medium to heavy build and dark hair. And the case is cold, but it is still open. Jesus, dude. And he never, he killed her and that was it? Um, like there was I guess no so. This no is in 1981. So let me pull up her article real quick. And this is on truecrimefiles.com. 
Kelly Cook murder. Let's see if anything else, because they do try to make connections. I'm seeing now, like more current articles are trying to make connections. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, poor little thing. So uh, it's a small village, apparently, is what Standard Alberta is. It's a small village. And apparently they did try to do an actual search for her, luckily. So um, 8.30 p.m. that evening, a full-size North American car pulled up outside the Cook home. Kelly said goodbye to her family and entered Bill's vehicle. Kelly was supposed to call home after arriving at Bill's house, but no call came. So they gave it a few hours, and that's when they called the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. A full-scale search was quickly underway. No trace of Kelly or Bill was ever found. On June, not ever, but you know what I mean? Like, they weren't found. Mm -hmm. And on June 28th, 1981, roughly two months after Kelly's abduction, her body was discovered in the Chin Lake Reservoir near Tabor, Alberta. And due to the advanced decomposition of the remains, she had to be identified through her dental record. So that's why. Her body was fully clothed, and the autopsy revealed no sign of sexual assault. An article claims that Kelly died of asphyxiation, but this cause of death was not widely reported and doesn't appear to be on the um, Mounted Police case file page. So her murder remains unsolved. Yeah. Fuck. And then there's a sketch of the suspect. I'll be posting all of that stuff. Having medium to heavy build and dark hair. At one time, the police circulated a sketch of the suspect, although it's no longer included on the police file page. They believe that Kelly's murder was a carefully planned crime. For instance, on April 18th, a man claiming to be Bill Christensen called another girl in town and asked her to babysit. So like I said, this has been talked about that he's called other girls and it was a premeditated thing that he was going to use babysitting as an example. He just wanted to kill one girl. Like, you just wanted to do it one time. Maybe so. But to call a group, that's so risky. Like, he called a bunch of people. Like, he was that desperate to, like, I just want to kill one girl. I just wanted just one time. I just – and he made it so easy for himself, too. Instead of, like, having to go somewhere and snatch somebody, they agreed to get in his car. Yeah. In front of people, like, in front of parents. Yeah, they didn't meet him, but they saw her get in the car. Oh, awful. There's another mind-bending aspect to this case – was Bill someone from Standard. In 1981, the police clearly thought the perpetrator was from the area. Um, Corporal Craig Green told the press there is no doubt that the suspect either lived in the area or frequented it. He knew what Kelly looked like and what her name was. He also knew the town layout and some of the neighbors. This baffles me, um, though, for if Bill was from Standard or the surrounding area, how could he be so sure that Kelly's parents wouldn't recognize him or his vehicle? when he picked her up and why did no one ever identify him from the suspect sketch that was distributed shortly Mm -hmm. after the crime? If Bill was from the area, his decision to abduct and murder a girl so close to home was brazen. And then it says, who do you think murdered Kelly? Kelly's case is considered one of the most high profile unsolved murder cases in Alberta, Canada. But after investigating over 2000 possible suspects, the case has stalled the authorities hope that the public can provide some new information that will heat up this mysterious cold case. Interesting. A $100,000 reward is being offered to the Village of Standard for information, leading to the arrest and conviction of Kelly's killer. Anyone with information is asked to call the RCMP at 403-420-4900 or Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. What did he? What did he say his name was again? 
That was Corporal. Oh, he said his name was Bill Christensen. That is the name of uh, the guy from Romeo and Michelle's High School. Billy Christensen. (laughs) I thought the same thing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to call them and let them know. That's such a good movie. But anyway, yeah, holy crap. So, so many cold cases, so little time. This is um, Jeanette Christman's story. I'm actually just going to go straight to the article because after I... (gasps) Oh my God, that scared me. (sighs) That's how I sneeze. Someone's broken into your house. (laughs) It's happening. (laughs) And this is in 1950, so we're going backwards again. Jeanette was 13 years old and an 8th grade student at Jefferson Junior High School. She was described as a loving church-going teenager who had a knack for playing the piano and the choir, intelligent and independent for her age working fervently for the things that she desired. On a brisk Saturday of March 18, 1950, there was a dance party being held that evening for students. Jeanette had been invited to go by several of her friends, but declined because she had plans to babysit. She would often babysit for two families that were well acquainted with each other, the Romax and the Muellers. On this evening, she was going to be tending to Ed and Ann Romack's three-year-old son, Gregory, hoping the job would provide enough money for a burgundy-colored suit that she had been saving up for for the upcoming Easter holiday. Dusk began to settle in around 7.30 p.m. Jeanette arrived at the Romax residence. The couple had recently moved to a rural, isolated home on the 1015 Stewart Road directly on the outskirts of Columbia. At the time, Anne was pregnant, and due to the recent and exhausting relocation, they hadn't been able to have a night out for just themselves, yada yada. Uh, Excuse me. When Jeanette arrived, Anne assured her that Gregory enjoyed sleeping with the radio on and he shouldn't be too much of a hassle. Prior to leaving, Ed quickly taught Jeanette how to load, unload, and fire the shotgun in case anything transpired. What? <laughs> I know. I don't know. As they were leaving, Ed placed the gun near the front door and said they would be back soon and advised her to lock the door and turn the front porch light on if anyone came knocking. With that, they departed in good spirits and went about their night. Throughout the evening, the weather began to worsen. The temperature dwindled down to the mid-twenties with a storm bringing in the rain and sleet. The robust winds swayed the nearby trees and echoed against the home. Jesus. That, just that would be like, I want to go home. Like, Gregory can come with me to my parents' house and I'm not going to stay here. Um, Despite the unexpected weather, there was no apparent cause for concern until 10.35 p.m. when Boone County Sheriff's Department received a frantic phone call. With the treacherous weather pouring in, the night for the local police had been going relatively slow when the phone suddenly rang um, and Officer Ray McCowan picked up the receiver and asked what the emergency was. He was immediately met with the howls of a woman screaming in sheer panic, uttering the words, come quick. He tried intervening, but the phone line was cut short and the dial tone was all that he could hear. What? McGowan knew straight away the horror emanating from the female caller's voice was genuine and not a prank by doltish teenagers, but all he could do was anticipate the phone ringing again because the call was too short to provide a trace, and the woman didn't mention any information to, as to what was unfolding or where, where she was. Um, so shortly thereafter, Anne Romack called home from the Moon Valley Villa, where she and her husband, the Muellers, and other friends were, to check on Jeanette. 
and see how the night was going with Gregory. But nobody answered the phone. Considering it was quite late, Anne wasn't too concerned, presuming Jeanette had fallen asleep. The Romax continued to spend a few extra hours away before heading home at approximately 1.15 a.m. Damn, and it's sleeting and shit outside? two hours. Yeah, two hours went by, uh, and she didn't answer the phone. So it's like, do we go home early? This was the 50s. Nothing bad happened in the 50s, according to everyone. Right. Right, exactly. Okay, so it's one fifteen now, and then they head home. And when they get there, it's uh, it was one thirty five a.m. when the Romax pulled into their driveway that was filled with rain and seeping mud. They noticed the porch light was on and the front window blinds were open wide. Um, as Ed began to fiddle with his keys to unlock the front door, he realized it had already been unlocked. <gasps> he was perplexed because of his instructions to Jeanette before leaving. And as he and Anne walked through the front door, that they were met with a ghastly discovery. Oh, God. Three days shy of her 14th birthday, Jeanette Christman was found sprawled out on the living room floor in a pool of blood soaking through the shag carpet. She had been violently raped and murdered. Her legs were spread out with her right slipper barely hanging off her foot. There was a head wound from a blunt instrument, multiple puncture wounds from a mechanical pencil, and a cord from an electric iron that had been snipped with a pair of scissors um, bound tightly around her neck. Oh, my God. Oh, There's a picture on this website that's kind of Dude, jarring. 50s music is playing in the other room, and it's, like, giving me the creeps right now. Gregory likes to listen to the radio I know. Oh, Lord. That was perfect. Oh right, but horrible at the same time. <laughs> but um, it was yeah. like it definitely sets the mood for yeah, what the hell is it definitely happening. did that i'm literally covered in goosebumps These right now are so horrible i'm debating on whether or not to they're not graphic like there's no blood or anything but it's her like laying there it's you awful probably shouldn't and her foot i'll at least the put foot. the picture yes, of the living the room foot. with her foot oh goodness that is so sad dude so fucking awful sad. she was gonna turn 14 and she wanted that burgundy suit that's all that was. Can you believe? Like, mm-hmm. no issues, no hatred, like just regular, you know, middle school girly things that she you're thinking about. She could have been out with her friends, but instead. She could have been at the dance or whatever, yeah. A few feet away was a landline phone dangling off the hook. The reason mm-hmm. why Anne was unable to get a response when she called earlier that evening. The sight was of this horrifying scene set Anne into a hectic state as she darted up the stairs to check on her three-year-old son, Greg, who had been unharmed and shockingly still asleep, oblivious to the horror awaiting downstairs. Right. Or imagine if the little boy had found, like, or, like, came in while it was happening. I thought he was a baby baby, though. He's three. Oh, never mind. Yeah, he could have walked. He's still a baby, kind of, but he can walk. Mm -hmm. Ed Romack hastily dialed the the police and... They were dispatched immediately. Sheriff Glenn Powell from Boone County's Sheriff's Department arrived with numerous detectives and bloodhounds. Unfortunate complications soon arose, however, when Lieutenant Joe Douglas from the city police, a different jurisdiction that hadn't any authority since the Romax lived 100 yards out of the city limits, arrived at the scene and attempted to take reign of the investigation. Oh, dear Lord. The battle of leadership had the separate agencies being uncooperative with one another, and though answers unraveled quickly, there were many disagreements among the two groups. There's a dead child that had been raped in the living room, and you're going to be, like, ah, competing for who gets the case? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. 
Inside of the home were clear indications Jeanette had resisted her attacker. Blood smears and fingerprints were found in the living room and kitchen where the back door had been unlocked and left ajar. As the police followed the trail outside, search dogs managed to track the assailant's scent one mile up from Stewart Road to West Boulevard and across West Ash Street before losing the trail. Back at the crime scene, an adult male's footprints were found near a side window of the residence that had been shattered with a garden hoe, mm -hmm. where several authorities believed the perpetrator had gained entry primarily due to the muddy papers found on the piano that was situated nearby. Um, the method of entry is where the two jurisdictions collided. Due to Ed's instructions to give Jeanette, he gave Jeanette, many detectives suspected the perpetrator knew Jeanette and tried appearing friendly to get inside. This theory was substantiated by the front porch light being turned on, as he told Jeanette to do if anyone came to the door. The loaded shotgun nearby, untouched, and the apparent knowledge as to where to locate the electric iron to use the cord for a murder weapon. So, with this prevailing theory, law enforcement worked 12-hour shifts tirelessly performing stakeouts and canvassing surrounding areas under the suspicion that the killer may return to the scene to relish in what he had accomplished. Likewise, the police sought assistance from the public asking locals to call in if they see anything peculiar or notice anyone acting different than usual. Mm -hmm. Weird. Um, what if it was the dad? Like the so dad of the little kid she was babysitting. He was with the, the mom at that party. But what if he left? They would have mentioned. I would think that the the wife would have mentioned that he left. Unless she wasn't paying um, attention because she was drinking and having fun. She was pregnant. Oh, that's right. That poor thing was probably barely with one eye barely open. Like, <laughs> are you ready to go? And he's over there smoking cigarettes and fucking Drunk bullshitting shit, around. Yeah. Never and mind. She's like, oh, well, I'll just wait then. <laughs> She's I'm hungry, like, but I'll just it. wait. Yeah, she's like, God she's like it. picking at the pretzel bowl. Well, anyway. this was also the 50s. She was probably drinking and smoking too. Shit. You know what? Maybe you're right. She's all drunk. Maybe you're right. Stumbling in her fucking eight month pregnant belly, just fucking sloshing around. <laughs> <laughs> that would be crazy. This is the weird part. So I'm going back to my notes now to kind of sum it up. But so. The police rounded up suspects, mostly young black men, mm -hmm, to see if they had any injuries because she had, like, put up a fight um, throughout the living room before succumbing to whatever happened to her. So only the living room was messed up. So it looked like the killer knew where to find the iron and the scissors, which was in a sewing room down the hallway. So how are they explaining that? That's why I thought it was the dad. So here we go. So they suspect, the, they suspect he knew... The home and maybe even Jeanette, there hadn't been any forced entries besides the window. So potentially he came in through the window. But I kind of feel like the window either broke with the weather or broke with something else. Unless there was two intruders instead of mm -hmm. one. But because why the whole front door situation is weird to me. Yeah. Why didn't she use the shotgun is what I'm... And that. And that too. I feel like she didn't have time. Like she let someone in and then he was like, can I borrow blah, blah, blah. And she led him. And then that's when the struggle started. So she was too far away from the shotgun maybe at that point, if 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 what I'm saying is accurate. But So how did he – he hit her on the head and then went and searched for the shit to strangle stuff. her? Maybe so. That's what I'm thinking. She had a puncture wound and, and then a bunch of little, like, things on her head, and then she was strangled. So, yeah. So they zeroed in um, on a man named – uh, it was a friend of the husband, which we mentioned who okay. was all at that party earlier. Okay. Um, Robert Mueller <sighs> may have been the killer. 
and oh. Romack told of several stories where Mueller inappropriately touched her. Hey. And um, apparently he had asked Jeanette to babysit for him, but she was already doing it for the Romacks. But he would have known she was there and alone. Yeah. Um, so he and knew she would have been alone. Used again. Right. And exactly. So, and he was apparently familiar with the sewing room since he had a custom made suit. He would know like there would be scissors in there and there would be an iron in there. I don't know. Or, you know, we never know. Maybe the little girl was using that stuff for something and it was already in the living room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that is pretty crazy. Uh, He is known to carry a mechanical pencil, which it's interesting that that article straight up said she had mechanical pencil punctures on her head. Um, when other places just say puncture wounds or whatever. So they were already kind of like insinuating that it was this guy. But yeah. he was known to carry a mechanical pencil. Maybe a lot of people did at the time. Um, and it, it might explain the cuts on her on her scalp. Um, people noticed Mueller missing at the party for about an hour. There ago. we go. There it is. Unless he went to take a shit or something or throw up. Um, <laughs> however, the problems are, it seems that Jeanette had fought pretty hard before her death. And Mueller didn't have a scratch on him. Uh, okay. um, also, other guests didn't mention him acting strange at the party. So... We don't really know. The circumstances make sense for the entry part of it, but then the whole situation doesn't really line up with what went on. Yeah. Um, so the sheriff, they were they were big cheaters because the sheriff fucking took Mueller to his deputy's farmhouse out in the like country, like out of jurisdictions, I guess, area or whatever, mm-hmm. and interviewed him all night and tried to convince him to take a polygraph, which Mueller agreed to do. And then he passed it. He said he didn't kill her and then passed it. So I don't know. But the whole, it was so sketchy how he didn't like properly interrogate him at the police station. He took him to a farmhouse. I don't know if he beat the shit out of him or if they were like acting like good old boys. Like, ew. They were probably like drinking beer and like, so how was it or whatever? Like, I don't know what went on. So uh, he wasn't charged and a grand jury was um, convened. And the evidence against him was presented. The jury decided not to indict Mueller. They condemned the sheriff department and the police for not working together. Um, there is speculation that there were bribes given to either the, ju- the jury or the persecuting attorney. Um, who might have even thrown the case because he hated the sheriff, apparently. Um, there had been several rapes during this time. And I think two women were left alive after their attack. Uh, and I'm not sure if it was the same situation like the same rapist or anything but the one one of them mentioned that she was being raped by someone who wore a sack as a mask on his head kind of like from the strangers yeah that's exactly what i just pictured (sighs) so um those were super dark stories but that's the story of jeanette they don't know what happened to her um they're just Mm -mm. suspicious of a few people but they don't know like it was what the hell? Yeah, who it was. Um, but this wasn't the first rape and murder to befall Columbia, Missouri. Four years earlier, on the bitterly cold night of February 5th, 1946, 20-year-old Mary Lou Jenkins had been brutally murder- murdered in a similar manner to Jeanette. Mary Lou was at home alone, coincidentally less than a mile away, two blocks over from the Romac oh, residence. so that is what freaks me out is like how close together like that's so um i don't want to say amateur but that's pretty like risky yeah no one's gonna see you recognize you um unless it really is just a stranger who somehow disappeared into thin air after all this happened but 
So she was tending to an elderly couple while her father was out of town conducting business. When Mary Lou's mother had to spend the night away down the street, they conjured up a plan to alert one another if something was amiss. Their scheme was to turn on a light, lift up the shades, and place a phone call. Later into the night, Mary Lou's mother noticed a light on in her house with the shades up, but she never received a phone call. She didn't believe anything was wrong. The following morning, she returned home. She stumbled upon the gut-wrenching scene of her daughter deceased on the living room floor. She had been raped and strangled with an extension cord. Mm -hmm. Two weeks later, Floyd Cochran, a 35-year-old disabled trash hauler, was arrested for savagely murdering his wife. Afterward, he attempted to commit suicide, but was uh, unsuccessful. Once the police were unaware of what transpired, they took him into custody. Floyd willingly admitted without any remorse that he murdered his wife. Considering the timeline of the events, the desperate need to solve Mary Lou's murder, Boone County investigators interrogated Floyd for 10 hours where he supposedly made an incriminating made incriminating statements that led to his guilt and he later confessed to the crime despite no evidence connecting him to the murder. That's what I hate is whenever it's like false confessions like we were talking about because now they can't like say who it was or who it wasn't. Yeah. A series of prowlers and peeping toms would emerge in the following years. Wow, ew, Siri just got <sighs> activated. Creepy. Because I said a series. <laughs> um, a series of prowlers and peeping toms would emerge in the following years. And in the late months of 1949, the activity increased with a string of sexual assaults. Mm -hmm. The first rape occurred several days before Halloween. A 16-year-old teenager was babysitting on East Sunset Lane when an unidentified male wearing a white homemade mask with holes cut out for eyes broke into the residence and violated the young woman in the living room. The following month, in November 29, 1949, 18-year-old Stevens College student Sally Johnson became the next target. She lived one block away from where the prior victim was attacked and was home alone, falling asleep on the sofa while watching television when um, an unknown male gained entry and attempted to violate her. Thankfully, she resisted her attacker and was left unharmed as the perpetrator panicked and fled from the home. Mm -hmm. The next day, another more brazen incident occurred. A college student enrolled at the University of Missouri was on a date with her boyfriend. They were at uh, Hickson, Hinkson Creek, a lover's lane, in their vehicle when a man draped in a white hood and brandishing a firearm appeared and ordered them out of the car. They did as he instructed and he forced the couple several yards away and proceeded to rob and bind the male, then ordered the female to walk. Um, when they were a considerable distance away, he sexually assaulted the female and sprinted away from the crime scene. Crime scene. Fucking wow. crazy. Days later, on, on December 4th, 1949, a 26-year-old black male named Jake Bradford had been arrested after the police caught him in the act of peeping inside a woman's window. Young woman's window. Bradford spent a week in jail, and after intense questioning, he confessed to assaulting the 16-year-old in October and attempting the rape of the 18-year-old Sally Johnson. Even though he was brought in to ask if he was the perpetrator and was unable to provide an, an adequate answer. Interesting. Nevertheless, the reports of peculiar prowlers and rapes in the area diminished. So they, that's what they were. They were thinking it was like a, one of the prowlers that had been around and there had been rapes happening. And then it goes on to discuss who Mueller was and everything in great detail with his lustful eye for um, Anne Romack, apparently. He doesn't use his words. He uses his hands. That's how she described Mueller. Oh, Ew, disgusting. That is, yeah, that, that gave me a gross chill. <sighs> Goodness. Um, 
The circumstantial evidence against Mueller was staggering and overwhelming. In May of 1950, law enforcement compiled all the evidence against him and went to his residence to speak with him. Rather than following the basic guidelines of arrest warrant and interview procedure, that's when they took him to the farmhouse and interrogated him. With the unfortunate results of the lie detector test, the detectives had to let Mueller go free. However, all of the evidence pointed in his direction and the court judge, W.M. Dinwiddle, <laughs> Dinwiddle, felt compelled to arrange a grand jury to investigate. Yeah, okay, so that happened. Over time and legal issues, Robert Mueller was never charged because of the profound level of incompetence police conducted during their investigation into him. These intertwined factors led Mueller to not be appreh apprehended, and he later sued the police department but lost the lawsuit. Um, he uh, Afterward, he relocated with his family to Tucson, Arizona in 2006, and he passed away at 83 years old. Jesus. In 2006. Um, after everything, I think he had joined the military whenever all that happened. He like joined the military and they left to Arizona. Um, after everything that had transpired in the small town of Columbia, it seemed as if all the families involved in some form or another uh, needed to uproot their lives, yada, yada. In the 1980s, Anne passed away and Ed eventually remarried. And in 2016, he passed away at 93. As for his son, Gregory, he grew up successful and settled down in Alaska. The Chrisman family remained in Columbia and continued running their business until Jeanette's father, Charles Chrisman, passed away September 24, 1974, at 60 years old. After his death, his wife, Lula Chrisman, moved to Kansas City, where she would remain until her passing in 2009. And, uh, her oldest daughter, Rita, would settle down with a wonder wonderful man and start a family of her own, while the youngest daughter, Cheryl, who was only a baby at the time of Jeanette's murder, moved to Florida. It's now been 68 years, and the once-loving, hardworking, and independent 13-year-old who was saving up for a burgundy dress for Easter would have been 82 years old on March 21st, 2018. While the Romax and the Christman oh family believe Robert Mueller is responsible for Jeanette's murder, they were painfully stricken with the unsatisfaction of receiving legal justice and closure, and the case officially remains unsolved. <sighs> so that was the last of the list of young girls who during their babysitting job were taken and murdered in one way or another that was super crazy. depressing um so uh since those were super dark and stuff and i didn't want to end on such a dark note i had a fun little spooky idea um to mm -hmm. read babysitter stories of the creepiest things that children say to them Why? because then these are alive babysitters and not dead babysitters but they the creep okay i was gonna right. ask you this i was gonna say um what's a fun spooky because i said i wanted to end on like a fun spooky oh. note but what's a fun spooky note to you uh i guess that would be it because i can't even Thank but if you hate being scared, what would be? Why would it yeah, be fun? Yeah, and then it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be scary. It would just be funny or something. Like I don't even. Mm -hmm. Just talking about just doing our little palate cleanses is the only thing that comes to mind. Because, but your what you said, it's a really good idea. But I'm just gonna be terrified. True. So let's go. So go ahead. Let's yeah, do it. Ahead. So this is urbo.com, U-R-B-O.com. Babysitters revealed the creepiest things children have said to them when their parents weren't around. I'm not ready. <laughs> oh. 
So these are the things that children speak of. So here we go. One babysitter shared a story that's still keeping us up at night. Okay, so the sitter was watching a four-year-old girl. At first, everything was normal. I haven't read these either, so I'm going to be just as scared as you are. Um, the kid sat there playing with her Barbie dolls. Then she looked up at the sitter. My mummy is scared of me, she intoned. The sitter described the child's voice as deadly serious, which gives this event an even more chilling edge. Um, so that's all she said, I guess, was my mommy is scared of me. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The fact that there's a ghost living in your house is definitely one of those things. Another one of our online friends recounts a story about babysitting two easygoing little girls. The girls were sweet and very easy to look after. Um, Frequently, though, they they would say something that freaked out the babysitter. So um, they would ask the sitter to promise them that the white man in the house wasn't going to come and look at them while they were sleeping. Absolutely fucking not. Strange. Uh, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um, anytime you have, I'd be like, I'm going home. Yeah, now. seriously. Oh my God. I'm, I would be like, come with me. You don't need to be here. Um, anytime you, absolutely. And I'm leaving those little bitches back. They can stay. Yeah, you're right. That white man the can white watch man you because I'm following not. Him, so, yeah, that white man can watch you. I'm going um, go home. And the dad said, Oh, that's just the ghost we have in the house. Don't worry about him. Oh, Great. don't worry Wait. about him. Uh, a child. Okay. The child was her six-year-old niece. Even at that young age, the little girl had something of a violent history. She had once tried to stab a police officer with a pair of scissors. Um, mm-hmm. Still, defied, despite that fact, the sitter knew the kid was a bit off and this was the family. So whatever. The little girl was playing in another room when the sitter noticed that things had been a little too quiet in there. Um, the sitter ran into the room to find the little girl standing over the family dog, holding a freshly sharpened pencil <gasps> over the animal's head like an Aztec priest with a human sacrifice. The sitter asked the girl what the heck she was doing. I'm helping the dog go to heaven so I can get a cat instead, the little girl said. And the babysitter took the oh. pencil and kept a close eye on the niece from now on, from then on. What the f- fuck? I would have been like, I'm going to send your ass to heaven. What the f- fuck so we can get a cat and have the dog still exactly ew she wanted a cat instead <laughs> oh my god that's terrifying you, know, you need to be put I'm down glad child. In at goodbye the, that time instead of later oh my god um yeah i would oh my god i can't mm-mm. Mm-mm. Kay was babysitting her two-year-old cousin shyla and decided to take her to the park one morning Kay noticed that her cousin was fixated on some object in the distance Shyla, is someone walking through the path? Kay asked. The child didn't answer except to smile. Is someone standing there? Kay asked. No, Kay. Someone is on the bench. The little girl replied. Kay did not see anyone on the bench. And later, Kay and her aunt and uncle decided to ask Shyla about the incident. They wanted to know who exactly the girl saw at the park. Grammy, the little girl said. Kay's grandmother had passed away uh, years ago. There was no way for Shyla to know. They called her Grammy. So that is creepy and heartwarming. That one is, have you seen the video? Yeah, Which you've one? seen the video of the little girl that they're at the cemetery and that little girl like is waving and like hugging and kissing the other <gasps> no. in front of like where oh the Oh my god, no, is. I haven't seen that. I'm gonna cry. Yeah, it was really yeah, it made me cry like hysterically. But yeah, she was like hugging and waving and like it was just it was really it was creepy, but it was mm-hmm. like 
Yeah, that's sad. The internet gave birth to its own collective myth with tales of Slenderman. Another babysitter tells a story that might add to the mythos, even if the teller of the tale doesn't mention the internet's favorite horror character by name. A three-year-old child told this babysitter that she didn't want to go upstairs alone. The babysitter wanted to know why. The man in my room might be there, the child said. Seeking to comfort Mm -hmm. her, the babysitter explained that the man in her room was probably just her father who wandered in at night to check on her. The little girl said that that couldn't be the case. The man in in her room, she said, was tall and skinny, but her dad was short and fat. Could this have been an appearance of Slender Man? Even if it wasn't, there's nothing good that can come out of a situation like this. <laughs> yeah, fuck Ew. that. She's like, that's it's not my dad, trust me. Mm-mm. Another babysitter frequently looked after her own goddaughter. If this were the 18th century, the kid would probably be on trial for witchcraft. But by the time she was five, this little girl had already racked up a whole collection of unsettling quotes. She frequently talked about the people under the porch. She mentioned seeing her brother, even though the brother was sadly stillborn. Somehow, neither of those things freaked out the babysitter the most. The comment that really disturbed the sitter came later. Your master wishes to see you in the pit. Oh my fucking Where would they God. even get that from? <laughs> who? Who is that? Yes. That is so scary. Oh, that scared me. I had to look around. Oy. Oh, God. Now, that could just be a quote from some late night movie the child somehow caught. But there's an even more disturbing detail. The child's parents, presumably a religious couple, use the pit as a euphemism for hell. So who does that make the master? The devil. Yeah, who else? Um, that is so creepy. What if imaginary friends are real? If they're actually emissaries from another world mm-hmm. and only children can see them, that would explain this story, although it sure wouldn't make us feel any better about it. Another babysitter reports an odd thing that happened during a recent job. It was about an it was about nap time, so the sitter had the child go lay down. A few minutes later, the sitter heard the kid making a fuss. The sitter went to the child's bedroom to tell him to settle down and get back to his nap. When the sitter entered the room, the kid was sitting on his bed. He didn't seem to be doing anything but staring at the wall. The sitter asked the kid to lay down. The kid had a response that was, don't talk to him while we're playing. Mm -mm. The child said that and there was no one else in the room or was there. Fuck all when it's that. not the ghost, are you scared? I am thoroughly he's just sitting out, on his dude. bed and he's I just like, like, Don't talk to us while we're playing. That's still really scary. And then everyone's talking out there, and it's oh, I'm like on mm-hmm. high. Good alert. thing you have company today, you're not alone in the house. Well, that's busy. Uh, oh no. so I'm like, <laughs> When it's not the ghosts who are freaking babysitters out, the kids, it's the kids in themselves. The kid in the story either has an incredible imagination or else he's a budding serial killer. Or maybe it's both. At any rate, the sitter who relates this story was just making a sandwich and the kid was hungry. Something about the sandwich resonated with the kid. He walked into the kitchen. After watching the sitter work for a moment, the kid locked eyes with the caretaker. If I killed somebody, mm-hmm. would anybody ever know it happened if I just ate the body in a sandwich? <laughs> what? Oh, my. Whoa. I'd be like, uh, yes, everybody would, would know. Everyone. God would know. God is always watching. That's what my mom would always say if I was, like, Jesus. being bad. Yeah. He's going <laughs> to see you. He's watching. And he's going to tell Santa. That is scary in itself. I feel like my mom might have said that part. 
So what did you think about today's episode? Dude, I loved it. That was a really good one. I was not expecting that at all. Jarring. Horrifying. Yeah, it was very terrifying. And you started off with you started off very strong with the um knock knock little jokes. Good yes. Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, guys, the the take that I probably left in, it wasn't the only one. I'll just say that much. <laughs> it didn't go as planned, is what I'm really saying. But it uh, still didn't, even with the shit that doesn't happen it. It was funny. <laughs> I left it. Whatever I left. Anyway, I was like, I'm gonna uh-huh. just do a list of things that usually wouldn't fill up a, a whole episode because they're unsolved mysteries. So it only gives you so many details. You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't have helped yeah. up a whole episode. So I just yeah. did a little list there. I'm uh, doing one of those also <gasps> next week. Yes. I'm so excited. Let's keep it going. It's October. Let's have some spooky fun. It is spooky, but it's not spooky like how you did t- this day. This day. On this, on this spooky day. Okay, well, I will be I will be ready for it. Guys, welcome to October. We're going to be putting out a lot of cool stuff. Share it with your friends, with your family. Follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, and give us a listen on all of our – on all podcasting platforms. We're on Podbean. We're on Spotify. We're on um, Apple Podcasts, where you can also leave a review and a little comment if you'd like. We enjoy reading them. So thank you guys ahead of time. And like I said, we're always taking submissions for listener stories. Go ahead and hit up that email or our DMs, you know. So we hope you enjoyed today's episode. It was very grim, very gruesome. No disrespect to any of the victims involved or their families. I left some numbers in the episode if you have any information or you can share any any numbers with anybody who might have information. And I'll also be posting the numbers on our Instagram and the anchor um, profile so that when you pull up the episode, there's going to be some phone numbers on there. Um, Thank you guys for listening and um, keep it creepy. So did we give you the creeps?